Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. Oh boy. Ugh. We're just <laughs> we're exhausted. We, we, we could have gone on just now. We were having our to pre, each other. We were having a pre-podcast rant session. Right. Gearing up for things. Holy shit. <laughs> what a day. Um, so last week we didn't have our Patron, Patreon patrons pulled up, so we want to start One off day thanking gonna them. Get Patreon, I'll never, correctly. I can't. It's, it's, weird. it's like a weird block. I right. can't. Um, I okay, I'm making a lot of noise. Okay, apparently when I shuffle my feet under the desk, it makes noise. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Now we know. All right, we're not professional sound engineers, but <laughs> hopefully when we get enough Patreon contribute contribution see it's hard fucking hard we'll be able to hire one so uh i would just like to thank our april patrons this month we had nicole we had alan upped his pledge thanks alan thanks alan stephanie tammy james aaron this person who oh jaja we had jaja we had Kay. Sonia, Jesse, Alex, Christina, Jessica, Sarah, and Jet up their pledge today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Um, so last week, I think we all remember we were a day late because I was out of town for my niece's wedding. Right. Uh, and one of the sad, the other, in addition to missing our scheduled podcast recording date right the other sad aspect of that was that I missed a movie that I had been looking forward to for a long time since I heard about it coming on and that was the movie called Paterno uh that aired on HBO on April 7th when I was at my niece's wedding so it was a devastating uh, it was devastating <laughs> miss. I wanted to watch it I'm a huge fan of all Al Pacino biopics <laughs> on HBO did He's, you like the Wizard of Lies wait was that the one about... Um, was that Bernie Madoff? Yeah, but that was De Niro. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Uh, Al Pacino has played Jack Kevorkian, and I think it was called You Don't Know Jack it or something. It was called You Don't Know Jack, <laughs> also directed by Barry Levinson, I believe. And the other one was the Phil Spector. The Phil Spector one, That's which one was, was uh, amazing as well. Yes. So I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. Um, so anyways, I did finally see uh, Paterno this week, and Rachel also... Uh, watched it. So I wanted to do um, my, the show this week on Paterno and the Penn State sex uh, scandal, sort of a um, movie versus reality um, deal. So uh, the movie basically focuses on the two-week period in 2011 uh, it was sort of starts with um, Joe Paterno. He's about to win his 409th uh, college football game, which is actually um, the most a college football coach had ever won. And that was all with Penn State. In the history. In history. Yeah. Wow. I mean, 409 wins is a lot. He was their coach for like, I don't know, 50 years. <laughs> Whatever. They kept emphasizing <laughs> that he was their coach for like decades. Forever. forever. Like forever. Um, so... It kind of starts with that. Um, it goes into the indictment of Jerry Sandusky, who was uh, his assistant football coach prior in prior years, not immediately at that point, um, who was indicted for 52 counts of sexual abuse of minors. So the movie is kind of during that two-week period, sort of right before the indictments and right after, 
uh, Paterno is seen going through an MRI machine and kind of reflecting back. <laughs> sort of a weird plot device. Yeah. He did die of lung cancer uh, in January of 2012. So just a few months after being diagnosed, he died. I mean, he was old, so it wasn't like super sad. <laughs> he was <laughs> we just went through this. Uh, so we're kind of watching him recall these events in his MRI. And uh, it was kind of crazy. I mean, what do you think of Al Pacino's acting at this point in his life? I'm um, not a, I'm not 100% on board with it. I do like some of his 70s work, but now I'm in this phase where I'm like, is he a good actor? Like I, He I, was a good actor, right? I love Al Pacino, partially because he's so ridiculous and animated. I mean, I like him for a different reason now, I think. Yeah. But it's not subtle acting skills. No, but <laughs> here's the thing about his performance. I actually don't know much about paterno as like a person like i don't like have enough his, reference of his like mannerisms and right. like his voice what it sounds like. i don't even know if that's my problem he did have like prosthetics on he really does look like joe paterno i was wondering i was like his nose looks gigantic yeah. in this i mean the opening scenes where he's like this befuddled coach in the uh, i thought it was like funny almost his yeah, portrayal of him there was something the problem. funny about it you're always sort of laughing in these movies that are sort of serious. Like I, I didn't rewatch the whole um, Phil Spector one, but if I watched like a bit of it, the opening yeah. scenes of it a few weeks ago before I fell asleep. Uh, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is like worse than I remembered. <laughs> like I have to watch it again at some point. He's just not, I don't know what's going on here. I actually, someone did tell me that he had a friend who was like, doing a sitcom and, and Phil Spe uh, um, Al Pacino was supposed to star in it and yeah. he got recast. What? That's how what? bad he was in the table reads. And I was just thinking like he had to be really to fire Al Pacino or to go in another direction That's or whatever. Insane. Yeah. I, they went in another direction. Here's my thing about his performance in his portrayal about it. He was so one note the whole time. Right. He didn't go through any emotional in He was my just opinion. befuddled. He was just befuddled Whoa, the whole movie. Yeah. And it was like so comical almost. Which I kind of don't really like because I felt like he needs to I want to see the truth about what happened here. And I felt yeah. like they were letting him off the hook a bit, even though I'll get to it at the yeah. end. But anyways, yes. So yes, he's this great football coach. That's the backstory if you haven't watched the movie or don't know anything about this case. But who the fuck cares about football? <laughs> we're talking about children who are sexually abused here and possibly that's, the, that's, that's the like the story. focus of the story um fuck football fuck his career like i literally don't care if his reputation was ruined like that is never i that's always something that bothers me when people are accused of things it's like oh like with bill cosby or whatever it's like they ruined their reputation <laughs> like no one did this to them like right their legacy or whatever like come on so, yes, this uh, scandal brought down um, one of the most celebrated college football coaches of all time. Uh, but the real story is that there was a massive cover-up right. uh, sort of along the lines of the Catholic Church and, and now with Michigan State University and Larry Nassar and the right. gymnastics thing. Like, this is an institutional problem right. we seem to keep having. And even though this story is a bit older, like I said, with the Michigan State, it's still fucking happening. It's still like, going on. People are too concerned about protecting these institutions and their reputations over kids. Like, right. fuck it. <laughs> so let's go into like a little bit of uh, Sandusky's background. I'm not going to get too much into Paterno's background because it's not a really that interesting. Uh, he was obsessed with football, basically. At College the expense football. Of, at everything, yeah. yeah. 
So Sandusky was born in 1944 in Pennsylvania, and he was the only son of Evelyn and Arthur. Uh, his dad was actually like a minor sports um, leader and celebrity uh, in Pennsylvania. He actually was inducted into the Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame in 1999. So he was really active in sports, youth sports in particular. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think, maybe where Sandusky got his love of sports and youth. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Uh there was this one little tidbit about Jerry Sandusky that he adopted his own personal law called Jer's law that he stuck for stuck to for many years. And the rules of that um, law were that Sandusky could be mischievous, but not to the point where someone could be intentionally hurt, which I find very ironic. Obviously he also vowed to not be disrespectful to his teachers and swear to himself that he would tell the truth if he was caught breaking any rules. Okay. So he kind of started off with some moralistic (laughs) fiber or something. Uh, He went to Washington High School. He was a good student, athlete, all of that kind of stuff. He played baseball, basketball, and football. His classmates described him as studious and a loner who never dated in high school, but was popular and a handsome athlete, which I find a little suspect already right that you're not dating but you're popular and you're an athlete come on (laughs) uh he did eventually marry dorothy uh gross who is called dotty right that's her nickname and she uh is one of my most infuriating characters in all of this sagas (laughs) in the whole saga like did you see her in the um film their couple sandusky and dotty sandusky is barely in the movie he's sort of like in the background a few times. Uh, He's not like a major character in the movie at all. And Dottie is like, you know, overweight with short hair, kind of like sexless, like just like a middle-aged, I don't know how to describe her. She kind of looks like a Dottie. That's the best way to describe her. (laughs) Hey, I don't know. According to Sandusky, Dottie was sort of the leader of the family and they were sort of an old fashioned family. Uh, They never had, children their own children but they did adopt six children and and were foster parents throughout their whole marriage uh early life or whatever so at some point um sandusky does go to penn state and he plays football there um after he graduated he uh i think he had a few jobs but then he eventually became a graduate assistant under paterno in 1966 in 1969 he became an assistant coach there and he was there as in some form of coaching with um, Penn State up until 1999. So for over 30 years, he was at Penn State. Yeah. I think his last job was defensive coordinator, which is sort of like a more elevated position than just assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Um, upon his retirement in 1990, 1999, Sandusky was awarded an unusually high compensation package um, and a special designation of emeritus that gave him special privileges. Like he was still allowed to use the campus's facilities and stuff like that. So his final game coaching at Penn state was actually pretty notable. They faced Texas A&M in the uh, 1999 Alamo bowl in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Penn state shut out Texas A&M 24 to zero, which was the only bowl game shut out for Penn state under Paterno ever. So it was like this big deal. Yeah. Uh, And then Sandusky was kind of celebrated after that win in ways that are usually reserved for the head coach, like doused with the water bucket yeah. and carried on the shoulders of the players. Yeah. Uh, so he got a lot of credit for his work with the team. Like right. he was not just, it wasn't just Paterno. He was also really big with the team. Right. Um, <clears throat> now, after he retired, Sandusky was still involved in football. He um, 
he had in 1977, he had created an organization called the Second Mile, which was a children's charity that helped underprivileged boys and uh, get them into like athletics and, and kind right. of mentoring uh, them. This charity was actually widely recognized, including it was one of like George W. Bush's thousand points of light. I don't know if you have any memory of that or even have ever heard of it. He kind of had this thing where he was pointing out to these shining examples in America of good things. Right. And this charity was was one of those thousand points of light. He was also uh, given an award for his work with um, foster children by Rick Santorum. <laughs> and that was in 2002. He was given the Angels and Adoption Award. So he was particularly... Uh, 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 he was recognized for his football and for his charity work, right. working with young boys. Okay. We see where this is going, right? <laughs> Sorry. There's about to be a very uh, upsetting There's plot about twist. to be, yeah. <laughs> Guys, don't get too excited about Joey Sandusky and his good work yet. So here's like a little tidbit I'm going to lay out right now, and then I'm going to get more into it at the end of the podcast. Shortly before retiring from Penn State, which was in 1999, uh, in 1998, he was investigated for sexual abuse of a child, but no charges were filed. So as I said before, he remained at Penn State after his retirement as the coach emeritus. He had an office in Penn State in like the area and the football, whatever facilities, mm-hmm. Uh, and that was all part of his retirement package, right. like all of this. Okay. So in 2008, so this is about 10 years after retiring, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office began an investigation into sexual abuse allegations against Sandusky. Uh, the charges were initiated by a Central Mountain High School high school student who made allegations of abuse against uh, Sandusky. And that was the kid in the movie, Aaron right. uh, Smith, I think his last name was. Uh, anyways, he was commonly referred to as victim one. Right. The investigation kind of went into high gear when it became apparent that the allegation by this boy was not an, an isolated set of incidents, but that uh, Sandusky had a strategy. He was basically, he, they were seeing a strategy of him grooming yeah. uh, boys to be um, victims. And these were all vulnerable boys. I was going to say these yeah. were poor, underprivileged <clears throat> Right, who were kids. looking for a mentor, maybe didn't have dads or father figures in their lives, right. um, whatever. And a lot of this is through his Second Mile organization. Yeah. Uh-uh. So according to the investigation, Sandusky, his, his MO was that he would approach potential victims and like I just said, typically boys without a father living at home when they were eight to 12 years old, uh, he employed what is commonly a kind of referred to as a classic child grooming strategy, like offering them trips to football, football games, giving them gifts. Um, and that would kind of lead to incremental touching, kind of testing the water type things right. to see how far he could go. They had mentioned in the movie, one of the boys got hockey gear. Right. So you're endearing yourself to these boys and almost making them feel like they owe you or they don't want to hurt you. I mean, he's doing classic yeah. examples of grooming. Right. So this is like a common ploy uh, to build trust while invading personal boundaries. It's right. like this thing they're doing. So it's like a very conflicted feeling for the victims, like we just kind of said. And it's that confusion that helps them eventually abuse the boys because right. the boys are really trapped because they do have... Uh, they have affection for these men uh, or these predators. They could be women, but in this case, it's a man. And then that would lead to more overt sexual behavior. Uh, and that was often in the locker room showers right. at these facilities where he had offices. 
<clears throat> According to one of the victims, he was forced to put his hand on Sandusky's erection when he was eight to 10 years old, which particularly outraged investigators because they felt like he's doing this with kids who don't even know that that's sexual, like necessarily yet. They don't know what an erection is or, you know what I mean? Like when you're starting that young, I don't think the kids even realize it's bad or what sexual is, you know, like. So according to the indictment, this is like the other big witness other than the victims was an assistant coach named Mike McQuarrie, who at the time was a Penn State graduate assistant, which was what Sandusky started off as. Um, And this is the 1998 incident they're referring to? uh, No, this is not the 1998. This is the victim that came forward in 2002, uh, Aaron, the victim one. So this has nothing to do with the 1998 thing. That was completely closed. This is a new investigation that was opened up. In Uh, 2008, about an incident that occurred in 2002. Right. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I know. It's confusing. (laughs) Um, So this was the coach, assistant coach, Mike McQuarrie. And he said that he walked in on Sandusky and he heard slapping sounds coming from the shower he walked right. he walked in and he saw Sandusky directly behind a boy and the boy's hands were up on the wall in the men's shower room uh he couldn't for sure say what was happening but in his opinion it looked like Sandusky was anally raping the boy but he didn't view penetration I mean this is part of the problem I think people see these horrible things they don't want to admit it's true and they don't want to wrongly accuse someone but obviously, if you're seeing something, something that horrible, happening. it's kind of frustrating because I feel like if it's me, I'd be like, hey, get the fuck. Right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, So this guy, I just want to clarify, this guy that walked by and saw this, he was a higher level position. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a head coach or he was like a, he was higher than the kids, obviously. Like he was a he coach. He was an adult in a position of right. power. Right. I guess he was like a, almost like equivalent like to a student teacher. Okay. Like I think he might have still been because he was uh, he was young. I okay. think he was only in his early twenties okay. himself. Um, but that's also one of those things where it's like early twenties is an adult. Like you're not yeah. a twelve year old walking in on this. You're right. still an adult who had a position of power. Right. So he is criticized for not doing more. Okay. But what he did do was he um, he reported the incident to head coach Joe Paterno. Um, he later at trial he did his testimony was that when he spoke to Paterno about it he said I told him and I I want to make sure I'm clear I made sure he knew it was sexual and wrong there was no doubt so it wasn't like I don't know what was going on they were you know horsing around or whatever he was very specific right he said this was not a normal thing um he also Paterno told McQuarrie at the time according to McQuarrie you did what you had to do it's my job now to figure out what we want to do um, the other players in this are um, Tim Curley and Gary Schultz, and also the um, president of the university, Graham Spanier. Um, so according to McQuarrie, he testified that Paterno was shocked and saddened and slumped back in his chair. He said that Paterno told him, I'm sorry you had to see that. It's terrible. And he said, I need to think and tell some people about what you saw, and I'll let you know what we'll do next. So Paterno then informed the athletic director, Tim Curley, uh, and at the preliminary hearing, McCreary also testified that he believed Sandusky was having some type of intercourse with the boy. Like, so he did think it was sex. He said that he was, this was based on the positioning of Sandusky and the boy, but that he never saw insertion or penetration and wasn't a hundred percent sure that intercourse was occurring. 
I mean, how much do you need to fucking see? <laughs> like, it's sort of insane to me that he needed more evidence at all. Um, so Curly, the uh, athletic director and the senior vice president for finance and business, that was Gary Schultz, called McQuarrie to a meeting a week and a half after he told Paterno this. Uh, and in McQuarrie's testimony, he stated that during the meeting, he once again relayed in graphic detail what he had witnessed in the locker room showers at the preliminary hearing of Curly and Schultz, who are eventually prosecuted mm-hmm. for their part in this. He um, testified that he had given them, like, he, the things he told them were like the body's positions right. of the, um, and he said it was extremely sexual uh, and he told about the slapping. I mean, he basically laid it out. And these guys eventually said that he didn't tell them that much. But he's saying multiple times. I said these details. I said these details. His details did change slightly. And they tried to use that against him, saying, like, his story changed and whatever. But I feel like he was definitely conflicted about doing the right thing and, and trying to always hold back a little bit. Like I just said, they both denied having been told about anal intercourse. And right. I, I, like, I don't know what wasn't bad enough for them. And Curly said that he, Curly denied that McQuarrie reported anything of a sexual nature whatsoever and described the conduct as horsing around. Um, Grand Spanier also testified that he was only apprised of an incident involving Jerry Sandusky and a younger child horsing around in the shower. I feel like horsing around with a younger child in a shower is naked cause, yeah. is enough cause <laughs> for alarm personally. So at that point, Curly met with Sandusky and told Sandusky that he was no longer allowed to use Penn State's athletic facilities with young people. And Curly reported the incident to Jack Reykjavitz, who was the CEO of Second Mile okay. uh, at the time. Now, uh, because of the position he had at Second Mile, he was a mandated reporter, which means when you hear about sexual abuse or abuse of a child, you have to report it to okay. the authorities. So... He was a highly trained professional is kind of my point. Like he knew what the rules and regulations were. He did report the incident to board members off Second Mile. Uh, but basically what happened was that they told Sandusky to wear shorts in the shower in the future. That like was no one, he, they, actually... he reported it to his superiors, but no one ever went the next step and reported anything to the police, which is basically what all of these guys did. They kind of did their legal obligation, which was report to your superior, superior. But it's like, you can go to the police. <laughs> you can do more than your legal obligation. Like, come on. So they wanted to keep this as contained right. as possible. So more victims uh, came forward. And most of them were saying Sandusky was placing hands on thighs, inside waistbands of underpants. Two recounted oral sex with Sandusky. Uh, some re- some said that it culminated in his ejaculation. The janitor, the Penn State janitor that you're thinking of, James Calhoun, reported that he observed Sandusky giving oral sex to a boy in 2000. But uh, by the time this stuff was going on, he was already in a nursing home suffering from dementia, so he was incompetent to right. uh, testify on the uh, incident. According to the grand jury testimony, the assaults took place in Sandusky's basement at a victim's high school in Sandusky's car at the football building at Penn State University at a golf resort and conference because he was going on these trips with right. Second Mile um, and a hotel room in Texas. So at least 20 of the incidents took place while Sandusky was still employed at Penn State. Um, after three years of investigation on November 4th, 2011, and this is where it it happens in the in the um, movie. This is where the movie starts. Kind of, yeah. Uh, the grand jury indicted Sandusky on 40 counts of sex crimes against young boys. And the indictment also accused Curly and Schultz not only of failing to tell the police, but falsely testifying to the grand jury that McQuarrie never informed them that it was a sexual 
incident that he had yeah. witnessed. Um, on November 5th, Sandusky was arrested uh, and he was charged with seven more counts of involunt- involuntary deviant sexual intercourse and eight counts more of corruption of minors and endangering the welfare of a child. I think it's like as typical with these cases, the more things happen, the more people come forward. Yes. Because they, they feel, feel more empowered and safer. Um, on November 6, uh, 2011, so a few days later, Penn State officially banned Sandusky from campus, oh, which I'm is glad. sort of hilarious. Not a moment too late. And later that day, Curley was placed on administrative leave and Schultz resigned to go back into retirement. I'm not sure if he came out of retirement or whatever. And then after those charges, after the charges came to light, Graham Spanier, the president of the university, issued a statement in which he said Curley and Schultz had his unconditional support and said that they operate at the highest levels of honesty. And he was roundly criticized for expressing support for them over any of the victims, basically. These people are all covering their ass. Okay. November 8th, 2011. uh, This was also in the movie. Spanier canceled Paterno's weekly Tuesday news conference. Because this is football season still when this is all taking place. Uh, He cited that it was legal concerns that they didn't want Paterno speaking. Uh, Paterno... Uh, reported that Spanier canceled the press conference without providing him an explanation. That same day, the New York Times reported that Penn State was planning Paterno's exit at the close of the college football season. The following day, Paterno decided he made like a big announcement that he was going to retire at the end of the football scene, saying that he didn't want to be a distraction, uh, whatever. And in a statement, uh, he in that statement, the retirement statement, he also said um, that what happened is one of the great sorrows of my life. With the benefit of hindsight, I wish I had done more. Um, on Octo- on the afternoon of uh, November 9th, um, a newspaper in Pennsylvania reported that the board gave Spanier an ultimatum that he needed to resign before the night's meeting or be fired, uh, and he offered his immediate resignation. At the same meeting, the board turned down Paterno's proposal to finish out the season and stripped him of his coaching duties immediately. Um, that same week, uh, Paterno, um, the Big Ten Conference removed his name from the championship trophy, and they it was formerly named like the Stag Paterno Trophy, and they just now call it the Stag Championship Trophy. In I the think, movie, they portrayed after Joe Paterno was fired, they portrayed the town. Yeah, I'm gonna get to that right this second. Okay, sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, the students and non-students were fucking outraged. I mean, that's what Paterno was to this town in Penn State. Right. He was a fucking hero. People were outraged that he was taken down in this scandal. Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about that scene the where they're rioting, yeah. the townspeople. 10,000 people came to protest his uh, firing, and it was pretty violent. Like I, I was going to say, like that scene, that particular scene in the movie where they showed the people rioting after they heard news of him being fired was pretty chilling to me. Right, because no one, I mean, there were some people like, hey, he, like some women, I think, there were, a couple were kind women. of defending his firing. Right. But it was mostly, I mean, 10,000 people were there. It was really bad, like gasoline, fires, tipping a news van over. Um, police used a chemical spray on the protesters. I couldn't believe people were that upset about college football. I mean, I it's guess insane. I, I don't, I don't get it. Cause I'm not like right, into college too. football. So I don't get it. And I'm a big baseball fan, but I've never 
rioted when my team won. I believe in protests, but I don't believe in sports protests personally. Right. And I also <laughs> I think have, kind of even if I'm a hero, uh, someone is a hero of mine, which I don't really have one, but I, I would never be like, I'd be like, okay, let's fucking hear what happens. Like I would never blindly defend someone. I mean, I think that's part of what was so chilling to me is that these, this is a really serious allegation and this is a really serious thing that's happening. And these people, they're more concerned with his legacy and him being treated shitty after 50 years. It's like, well, I mean, the scene is chilling. Uh, There was over $200,000 in damage that resulted from the protest. Uh, 47 people were arrested. I mean, it was like a serious protest. This wasn't just like a candlelight vigil. (laughs) Which they did show also in the movie earlier. Right, but it definitely escalated. Now, this is something I definitely remember from the time. So this is November 14th. Uh, Sandusky did an interview with Bob Costas on um, Brian Williams' news show. Was he out on bail or something? I don't know that he had been arrested yet he was just indicted like I don't think he was in jail yet but it was by phone and he admitted to Costas that he um showered with underage boys and had touched their bodies without intent of sexual contact like oh we're just showering together of course I touched their bodies like whatever he denied being a pedophile which I don't know that anyone ever (laughs) really admits that uh and obviously this this uh, got a lot of coverage in the media because it was a huge story. Uh, and to have this guy talking finally about what had happened, the big takeaway from the interview, which I remember well, and is very creepy. Costas asked him, are you sexually attracted to young boys, to underage boys? Sandusky said, am I sexually attracted to, to underage boys? Costas said, yes. I mean, anytime someone repeats the question, back, that's like a that's little... a yes or no question. Right. Most people will be like, hell no. <laughs> like he repeated it back. Yes, sexually attracted. You know, I enjoy young people. I love to be around them. So he didn't no. even answer straight up. Well, he does eventually say, but no, I'm not sexually attracted to young boys. To me, this sounds like a guy who has figured out a way around what he's into, right? Like, <sighs> like I enjoy being with young people. I love, I love answer. horsing around in the shower, but am I sexually attracted? Like he's thinking about it for the first fucking time or something. Uh-uh. So, um... After that, more victims came forward to tell their story about Sandusky abusing them as far back as the 1970s, which is like the first time we've heard stories from that far back. Now, I mentioned earlier the San Antonio um, Alamo Bowl. What is it called? The Alamo Bowl in 1999. Um, A victim came forward from that. Uh, During the trial, which I'm going to get to next, but this I'm just going to tie up this Alamo Bowl thing, and it the accuser and Sandusky's wife, Dottie, both testified about this incident that took place at the Alamo Bowl. The accuser accuser said Sandusky was attempting to negotiate oral sex with him in the bathroom while Sandusky's wife was in the in the apartment and that she came to the edge of the bathroom for a few words with Sandusky, including, what are you doing in there? Are you serious? Yeah. Mrs. Sandusky said her husband was having a disagreement, including yelling with the boy in the bathroom, but they were both closed and about to attend a luncheon. She went on to characterize the boy as very demanding and very conniving. He wanted to... He wanted his way and he didn't want to listen a whole lot. She's a bitch. Like, I cannot stand Dottie. Like, I don't know if I made that clear earlier. She defended him and basically threw all these kids under the bus. Unbelievable. Um, and, and 
it's been reported several times that when he's like in the basement at his home with these boys, that she was like, hey, what are you guys doing down there? Like this kind of thing happened a bunch. So she's one of those people who claims to not know anything and she, she does defend her husband still. But it's like you had to know. You knew and that's why you're asking like, What's but going not going on? in. Right. I mean, come on. So the trial. She didn't want to believe it. She didn't want to believe it, but she kind of knew. Like, I think. Right. She was uh, yeah. deluding herself. Definitely. Beauty should be good for you. And that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. The trial starts, um, the, you know, in 2012, the first prosecution which, witness who is identified as victim four described detailed accounts of many in- instances of sexual abuse, sorry, my tongue is tied, sexual abuse, including uh, unwanted oral and anal sex by Sandusky. Um, he was also um, a participant in the Second Mile Charitable Organization. According to him, he was sexually abused by Sandusky as many as three times a week for three years, beginning oh when he was God. 13 years old. He also testified that when he attempted to kind of keep Sandusky away from him, right. uh, Sandusky offered the boy a contract for money to continue spending time with him. Um, on the second day of the trial, victim one, who we talked about earlier, was uh, who was the youngest of his alleged victims, testified to over 20 incidences, incidents of abuse, including unwanted and forced oral sex, uh, while the boy was also in the Second Mile program. He was only 11 or 12 when it started. Mike McQuarrie also testified, and he testified about the incident we talked about before, where he heard skin-on-skin slapping sounds coming from the shower, and that then he saw Sandusky naked behind a 10- to 12-year-old boy who was propped up against a shower wall, 
Sandusky's arms were wrapped around the boy's midsection in the closest proximity that I think you could be in. So he kind of goes into further detail in the trial. I mean, that's just, come on. This is an unquestionable sexual act happening here. Um, Sandusky's defense attorneys uh, basically threw all the accusers under the bus saying they were motivated by getting money and, you know, typical. Which is a classic fucking Um, victim blaming statement. They they pointed to the accusers having changed their stories numerous times, but these are kids like who are also embarrassed and humiliated and traumatized. Yeah. I I just, I hate that kind of thing. Like where it's like, well, no shit. They fucking (laughs) changed their stories because they were probably saying, here's what happened, making it sound not as bad because they're embarrassed. Um, A psychiatrist also testified for the defense and he said that he had diagnosed uh, Sandusky with histrionic personality disorder which was a, a dis, it's a disorder that's sort of about attention seeking behavior and exaggerated emotions. And he said, I think that uh, some of the witnesses had produced letters written by Sandusky that were like over the top fawning kind of gross lovey kind of things. So the psychiatrist so saying that those letters were um, more about that disorder than they were about grooming these boys. Now also during the trial, which was in June of 2012, by the way, the, prosecutors contacted NBC about that interview um, because there was an unedited transcript and apparently in an unaired portion of that interview, Sandusky said, I didn't go around seeking out every young person for sexual needs that I've helped, which is sort of like, what? what? It's almost like just a few of them. <laughs> like, Wow. Yeah. Uh, and they were thinking, I think, because he kept saying that he was going to testify and take the stand to defend himself, yeah. which is like so typical of guilty people. They make up this thing like, I can't wait to go and defend myself. And then they end up not doing it. Right. Right. On June 21st, 2012, uh, after the case had gone to jury, Matt Sandusky, one of his six adopted children, uh, stated through his attorney that he was also a victim of Sandusky's sexual abuse. Um, he was going to testify for the prosecution, but ultimately didn't. And later Sandusky's attorney said that he was going to testify in his own defense, but decided against it because he was worried the prosecution would call Matt Sandusky to the stand. So he wasn't opening up any of these things with the, I think maybe they couldn't bring in the testimony of him in the interview or Sandusky unless he testified, but whatever. I think he wouldn't have anyhow. The jury deliberated for, um, 21 hours over two days and on uh, June 22nd 2012 they reached its verdict finding Sandusky guilty on 45 of the 48 counts against him he was convicted of numerous things including uh, involuntary deviate sexual intercourse seven counts of indecent assault one criminal intent to commit indecent assault nine counts of endangering the welfare Oh, nine counts of unlawful contact with minors and 10 counts of corruption of minors and 10 counts of endangering the welfare of children. His bail was revoked. Revoked. Is that right? Yeah, revoked. <laughs> Sorry. And he uh, went to correctional facility wait, awaiting sentencing at that point. He faced uh, a maximum sentence of 442 years in prison. And the minimum sentence was 60 years uh, under the guidelines. Uh, the sentencing hearing happened about 90 days afterwards. Uh, on October 9th, the evening before his sentencing hearing, uh, he released an audio statement maintaining his innocence. I mean, to this day, he has never. Right. Uh, he hasn't admitted yeah. it. No. Um, at the sentencing, Cleland, the judge, sentenced him to 60 years in prison, 
and he won't be eligible for parole until he serves 30 years, which at that point he'll be 98 years old. Right. So he's dying in prison. In pronouncing the sentence, Cleland said that he was um, the most dangerous breed of child molester because he masked his manipulation and abuse of children behind a respectable facade. It is the remarkable ability to conceal that makes these crimes so heinous. While acknowledging Sandusky's positive work, which I don't know why you had to do that, he said he was a dangerous child molester and should never be free again. He also granted prosecutors right to have um, Sandusky declared a sexually violent predator under Megan's law. Uh that that subjects him to all kinds of things. It's kind of a moot point, though, because he'll He's never be in be jail. Out. So I think it was just kind of like extra. They're adding every extra precaution they can. Right. Uh, the judge actually did say, I read somewhere that the reason he gave him 60 years rather than the, you know how they'll sign, give them like 800 life sentences or whatever. Right. He says, sometimes I feel like the severity gets lost with these insane sentences. It's like, but this is like, it's you concrete. know, he's concrete. This is not overdoing anything. He's going to die in jail. And that was sort of his reasoning behind not giving him 420 years. After this, uh, or during June, during when the trial was happening, Penn State implemented a policy requiring mandatory reporting of child abuse by any Penn State employee working with children. And they also required employees who are working with children to go through a background check and training related to child abuse I mean, and both reporting. Of, Desi, like, duh. Both of these things seem like complete does. Right. Like any moral person who witnesses a child abuse type situation, if they're an adult, <clears throat> And, you know, I don't understand. I'm just, yeah. ma- this case makes me so angry. And I, right. I, well, because I don't have any loyalty to institutions. Like, no. I'm infuriated when I hear about the Catholic Church stuff or anything. Like, I don't know why it's so hard for people to see the truth. And do you know what I mean? Like when I, did you see the movie on the Catholic church in Boston? I can't remember what it's called the right Keepers? now. No, the one that came out a few years ago, it's about the Boston newspaper, uh, who took down the Catholic, um, spotlight. Yeah. Spotlight. I didn't. Uh, it's really good. But in that one too, it's infuriating. Cause it's like, why are you covering for these people? Like you're trying to save face, but you end up making it worse. And it's like the cover up makes you all look like pieces of shit. Right. Whereas if you had just, throwing these people out on their ass and turn them in, you would have been heroes. Like you, I mean, you have to think you'll never get caught covering it up. I mean, yeah, it's it's pure evil. evil. Anyways, uh, this, the Penn state, obviously people were like, fuck you. (laughs) Like, so they kind of are trying to save face and they actually commissioned a report, um, by former, that would be an investigative group headed up by former FBI director Louis Free. He interviewed over 400 people and reviewed 3.5 million doc- documents. And here's sort of what his finding were on like what the school did wrong, because the trial of Sandusky didn't really go into all of that. The Free report stated that although the avoidance of the consequences of bad publicity was the main driver in failing to protect children uh, who were abused, um, and report that to the authorities. The report outlines other causes as well, as among which were a striking lack of empathy for child abuse victims by the senior leaders of the university, a failure of oversight by the board of trustees, a university president who discouraged discussion and dissent, a lack of awareness of child abuse issues, and a culture of reverence for the football program that is ingrained at all levels of the campus community. The report outlined how all four men... Um, I, you know, Spaniard, um, and the other three, Paterno and whatever, I can't remember all their names right now. 
rewind. <laughs> uh, all four of them um, were aware of the 1998 abuse incident in the locker room shower and had followed its investigation at the time. Free's investigation uncovered a file kept by Schultz in which he wrote notes about Sandusky's 1998 incident. Uh, for instance, one of them said, is this the opening of Pandora's box? He also wondered, were there other children? Free stated that Schultz had actively sought to conceal those records. The 1988 case was the one that was closed. Right. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the, a lot of the evidence that Free, like sort of the heaviest weighted evidence were a lot of these emails that were retrieved from 1998 to 2001. Uh, in addition to the one I just said, um, there were ones in it that suggested it was Paterno, who was long regarded as the single most powerful official at the university, who persuaded Spanier, Curley, and Schultz not to formally report Sandusky to law enforcement or child welfare authorities. Wow. Um, according to the New York Times, the university's handling of the 2000 report of Sandusky raping a young boy is one of the most damning episodes laid out by Free's report. That's the second one. Uh, by the way, the one that led to the investigation in 2008. The report states that nobody took any responsible action after that incident other than Curley informing the second mile, which I told you um, they informed him and he, they said, don't take showers with your, without shorts on. Um, and then they did tell him he could no longer bring guests to Penn State facilities at that time. But they never talked about sexual abuse. They just kind of said, hey, you can't use the facilities anymore. So right. Sandusky really thought he was kind of like getting away with stuff right. um, or not being, I don't know. And they didn't call the fucking uh, police. Right. Uh, exactly. They also criticized for P Paterno for not alerting the entire football staff in order to pre prevent Sandusky from bringing other children into the building. So it's like. So they were in the dark. Right. Other people were. Right. No one ha was on the lookout for any weird behaviors right. or anything. Like, maybe he could have been in there in the office, but the minute he's in the showers, like, come on. So according to the report, um, despite multiple people being aware of sexual misconduct allegations against Sandusky in 1998 and the 2002 one, no one restricted his access to the facilities at all. The report states that he had access to the building in, until November of 2011. Wait a minute. Yeah. So even though they told him you can't come use the facilities... He had he did still have access. Remember, I said that he was banned in November 2011 from using the facilities kind of after the indictments happened. Oh, it was after. Right. Yeah. It was after the indictments. Right. Okay. But what was um, the in the, where they told him they just told him before you he was like a professor emeritus. Like, so even though he wasn't on staff, he still was like allowed no, to go I, in. I know. Yeah. I know that the reason why he was still allowed. Oh. But what was the first incident when they told him you have to wear shorts in the shower? That was in 20, 2002. 2002, right? Because that, oh, wait. Yeah. After he had that incident, he they told Second Mile. So everyone kind of knew, but no one was doing anything. They were still letting him yeah. use the facilities. Right. Okay. But they weren't monitoring him in any way. So it's like, I guess they didn't know if they he just was just using the office a, or. A little tiny slap on the right. wrist. Of the 10 boys that Sandusky was convicted of sexually assaulting, most of them were abused after he was investigated in 1998. So this could have, a lot of this could have been prevented. At least five of them were assaulted at Penn State football facilities um, after May of 1998. Uh, after his retirement in 1999, the report noted that Sandusky, well, this, this was already said. I don't know why it's saying it again. I guess it's in quotes now. But so he was uh, there. 
raping boys. I'm sorry. Uh, the report also said that Sandusky's retirement agreement said he could continue to work with young people through Penn State for more than a decade, including Second Mile. So he's using Penn State and Second Mile still to kind of to get cover up access. and get access, and yeah. no one's stopping him. Free stated in his repaired remarks when this report was leased, released, um, the most powerful men at Penn State failed to take any steps for 14 years to protect the children Sandusky victimized. He said they never demonstrated through actions or words any concern for safety and well-being of his victims until after he was arrested in 2011. Uh, within days of its release, uh, Free's report became the basis for a $60 million fine imposed by the NCAA on Penn State. And they had a, a lot of other things I was going to tell them all, but they're just, I don't even know what they mean, half of them. But they were unprecedented punishments by the NC, NCAA right. that, including the, that included erasing all of Paterno's wins from 1998 through 2011. So he no longer has that record um, I don't know if that was reinstated or not, but that's kind of a crazy one. Like they took all his wins away from those years. Right. Uh, one point of irony that someone pointed out was that his last reported win at that point, once they took those away, was McQuarrie as quarterback because he was a player. Uh huh. Um, so after the report came out, more people came out saying they were abused in the seventies and the nineteen eighties, uh, and and one victim came out claiming Sandusky had assaulted him during the 1960s. I want to point something out <clears throat> or just mention something. Mm -hmm. So in the movie, the last scene of the movie oh, right. is... Uh, Paterno. Is, uh, the last scene of the movie is Riley Keough's character, the reporter, right. who like broke the story. Yeah, she won a Pulitzer. She won a yeah. Pulitzer for it. The last scene is her in her office picking up the phone and someone's on the line and they're basically saying, hey, I have information about abuse that occurred in right. 1976, I believe was the year. But basically the point they were driving home was that Joe knew, Joe Paterno knew as right. long as the, since the seventies. Right. They were what was the scene that. where that I, they alluded to it? Was he, was she, did they say it or did I they have him looking? I can't remember how they filmed it. I forget it. it, but that basically right. that was the, I mean, that I, was sort of the twist because the whole movie, they portray him as befuddled. And right. like that he doesn't know what's going on and he's so confused. Why is this happening? Of course, like all I know is football. Like he's just clueless. They show him like at the pool with his kids. That was another good scene I thought where the wife was like, did you, cause he's with right. Joe's kids yeah. when they were kids in the pool. And that scene I thought was really good with Kathy Baker who played yeah. his wife where it is this kind of thing. It's like, did, did you, you know? let our kids be with this guy? Like, right. I mean, obviously you should care about other people's kids too, but I could see how that's like... As a mom, you're Right. Like, uh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, so that is the twist of the movie in a way, even though it's well-known information, that he, they're basically saying he knew. So as crazy right. and befuddled and Mr. Magoo as Al Pacino, and it's written that way too. Right. Uh, he knew. So Sandusky is in prison and he's in protective custody because as we all know, child molesters don't do well in prison. Um, uh, another sort of irony after the fact is that um, Penn State, in 2014, Penn State uh, sent Sandusky a letter asking him if he wanted to renew his season ticket uh, for the football team and if he wanted to attend a recruiting trip for a Penn State basketball Wait, game. Wait, what? Was it, it was like an, an error. It was post? an automatic error letter, but still kind of like, get your shit together, Penn State. Dude. So I just want to go a little bit more into what Paterno know and when he did know it. Yeah. Uh, that we're kind of talking about just with that movie. 
as I said, we've said earlier, Paterno, you know, did admit that uh, McQuarrie informed him of the incident in the shower and that basically he said, I didn't know it was uh, as graphic as he said. And to be frank with you, this is a quote from him. And to be frank with you, I don't know that it would have done good because I had never heard of raping a man. What? Said Paterno. (laughs) This is something he actually said when he read like the indictments, which he's reading in the in the movie. So what did he think? Oh, he's just having regular gay sex with a 10-year-old child? I think that he didn't think like a man could rape another man or something. I don't quite know what he was talking about. Well, he's lying. Yeah. Well, in the um, movie, he's constantly, his son is badgering him to read this indictment. And right. initially he's like, doesn't, he's like resisting doing it. And he finally does do it. And this is true. And it's like a, a line that made me laugh when it happened. It's but it's so actually ridiculous. true. He's reading these things and he asks his son, what is sodomy? Like, I'm just like, when he when Al Pacino said that line in the movie, I did die laughing because the way he said it was kind of like it, this befuddled old man. Like, what sodomy? It, it and it kind of came it kind of came out of nowhere because it was really silent. And then all of a sudden he just yelled that out. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, and at that point I didn't know the ending yet. So I'm kind of like, God, they're really making him befuddled. Like, right, right. Like he doesn't even know what sodomy is. Like, how could he possibly have known what was going on? It was just like an insane it thing. It was absurd. Uh, Paterno's family did release their own report after Free's report. But obviously, it was all very self-serving kind of, of stuff. Um, now, there was some more sort of things that happened to Paterno after his... He had like a big statue that was outside right. of the stadium. And that was uh, initially taken down. Now, even though there was the big riots and stuff initially, I think people did start to come around that he fucked I up. I was going to ask. Uh, because there's there any- less and less um, kind of protests at this point about it and when they took the statue down i don't think it was there might have been a few fringe people but i think ultimately that people 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 were kind of like hey this is our school and that's more important than him like we don't want to be seen as these fucked up people anymore because they were getting a reputation as being insane like um now there is still a paterno library there and that was uh funded by a four million dollar gift from the paternos and uh, the After current, the fact? No, I think it was at some oh. point during his career, which okay. kind of was like, damn, how much do college football players make? Say, like, Four million dollars. That's I mean, a lot. Uh, and they had some kind of bullshit reason why that's okay to still have his name on that. but Because it was expensive. Yeah, exactly. Dude, colleges are pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a sweeping statement, and there's no, no well, way you can convince me otherwise. You list a number of reasons. <laughs> um... Penn State did have settlements with the victims, by the way, um, and they cost the university a total of over uh, $59.7 million, but they owe them even more. Like, that was sort of what was settled, and I think they still are close. It's almost close to $93 million total that they haven't, like, gone through officially or something. And I think in 2015, they made new payments totaling $33.2 million relating to the Sandusky victim uh, case. Yeah. So that's like a lot of money. Right. Now, I want to go back to that 1998 incident really quickly, because this also, I think, just kind of proves how much Paterno really did know. So that incident happened in 1998 with an 11-year-old second-mile uh, participant. Um, a woman called the police after her son told her that Sandusky had hugged them in the shower, hugged him in the shower. During the ensuing investigation, another second mile participant, a 10 year old boy, said the same thing that Sandusky had hugged him while they showered. 
Neither of them described anything beyond that as far as sex acts go. Well, they're eight uh, years old. Yeah, exactly. And that 10? could have been that they were one was eleven and one was ten. But that could have been the first step. They just told right away, right? Right. The psychologist interviewed the boys um, for the police and concluded that the interactions the boys described um, matched a pedophile's pattern of building trust in the gradual in, in right. introduction of physical touch. But a therapist worked with the child protection, a therapist who was working with a CPA f- filed a contradicting report saying that Sandusky didn't fit the fi- um, profile of a pedophile. Sandusky was interviewed by the police and he admitted to hugging the 11 year old boy while they showered, but denied anything sexual. Uh, the detective told him to stop showering with children and filed his report um, and they declined to press charges, the district attorney. Child welfare officials also declined to uh, revoke Sandusky's clearance to work with children at, at uh, Second Mile. So the parents wanted to press charges, right. but the DA was like, right. no. Um, in the grand jury testimony and in interviews before he died, Paterno denied knowledge of that event like several times. Right. But once again, in that email, uh, those emails I mentioned yeah. from Tim Curley, um, at some point he asked for an update on the 1998 case because Coach is anxious to hear where it stands. Paterno defenders had always said that Coach was Sandusky, but Curly later testified that he was referring to, to Paterno right. in that email, right. not Sandusky. Um, Free also thinks that Paterno's knowledge of that 1988 1998 investigation is like the most damning evidence against him. Yeah. And beyond even the 70s, like he at least, we have proof knew in 1998 what was happening. Right. And Paterno's defenders, once again, they, they're they they're kind of like, well, look how many other people didn't do anything. Like that's sort of their excuse. It's um, not okay. Like if- even he did what he had to do. Welfare officials didn't do anything. Police didn't do None anything. None of it's like, okay. How about yeah. that? Right. So I think I mentioned earlier, Paterno did die in January, kind of after all this stuff broke down. He was 85 years old, uh, and he had lung cancer. Um, uh, Sandusky is in jail, and all of the other players have basically been convicted of perjury and stuff like that, like minor. And their careers and lives are ruined, basically. Right. Good. Um, Just a few other little crazy, I don't even want to call them fun facts, because this is not a fun story. Uh, Sandusky was a big fan of the film Forrest Gump. He even confided to one of his victims that he identified with Forrest Gump, and he signed one of those letters to a victim as Forrest Jair. Don't you find that Ew. incredibly fucking creepy? That's really. I, I don't like it because it's like he. I mean, Forrest Gump is like a childlike man, yeah. right? I mean, that would be like yeah. a common description of him. Do so I feel like Jerry Sandusky is trying to equate himself like I'm also like you? He's manipulative. Like, yeah, it's manipulative. Uh, and it is kind of like a common thing people will say, like you're stunted as a child and that's why you're attracted to children. Like, I don't even know if I buy that because it seems like you're trying to give the predator a pass, right. like whatever, fuck them, I don't care. The other sort of ugh, darkly hilarious um, aspect of this case, Jerry Sandusky did write an autobiography and the name of the autobiography is Touched, the Jerry oh Sandusky story. Oh my God, I know. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> I forgot about that. I mean, that is like... It came out before. Yes. Yeah, of it, course, it, of course, of course. Out, okay, just yeah. clarify. He's not that insane. <laughs> but still, I'm sorry. I mean, he knew what he was doing, though. Like, I mean, it is just so... It's demented. It's such a demented tidbit. Like, oh. I think when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is a Photoshop job. This can't possibly right, be like real. Right, like it's a bad joke. Right. So that's sort of that's sort of that. That's the end. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I like Desi and I have talked 
a lot before about being particularly enraged at people in positions of power who work in an institution or around an institution like where they have influence and they know about these crimes taking place and they do nothing because they care right. more about protecting their institution or their wealth or their self-image than they do about actual victims. I just don't even think I'm a particularly good person. But one thing I will give myself credit for is if someone is accused of child abuse, I literally don't have to think for one second that I will protect the child over any institution or something I'm trying to save. Like, I get, like, wanting to hear the whole story and, like, let's see what happened. Let's hear the facts. I get, like, taking that position maybe. But, like, I can't imagine ever having any trouble turning someone in for that like right it's like a no-brainer to me especially uh, if you walk by and you witness it I mean I, I, how do you not call the I mean I hate to down this guy because he's probably the only one who did anything right in a way but at the same time it's like how are you not instantly on the phone to the police or yelling at Sandusky in that moment like I don't even like even if you're in fear of your own safety I would think your instinct would kick in and you'd be like hey get the fuck off him like right right like how do you I can't even imagine not doing that in that moment. I can't moment. either. And I don't know what was going through his head, but the people I'm the most upset about are the higher ups because right. they did know all of this right. stuff. So you have this 20, 20 something young year old guy coming in. Right. And I'm like a huge anti, oh, they're just a kid saying that about white He's guys an until their 40s. Right. I, in my opinion, you're an adult at that point, especially if you're in a position of somewhat power, like you're a coach or assistant coach. Right. Uh, I just don't know how, or I feel like, yes, maybe you tell your superiors, but how are you not like the next day? Like, Hey, what the fuck is going on? Have you Why called is the police? Yeah. Why is he still coming around? Like, right. Have you called the police? Like, I don't know. It's so crazy to me. It's just something I can't relate to. So I don't know. I don't know. And we know this happens all the time, you know, with people who knew about it and they didn't do anything. And they were people who were in actual like big positions of power. It's not even not doing anything, but they actively They're covering let him up. still work. Like, right. I mean, I don't, it's like the pre, it's like the Catholic church where they moved them. Right. It's like, you didn't take care of the problem. You move them. It's like poltergeist. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. you, you move the, you move the headstones, but you forgot to move the body. I mean, that's ultimately it. Like they're right. not taking care of the problem. They're just taking care of not getting caught. Like it's so infuriating. And it's, it's, I mean, we don't have to look back 10 years because this just happened. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it just so it's happened. like the fact that it's still happening is so outrageous to well, me. Well, like you said before with the, uh, with the gymnastics with the coach. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is not a thing that's going away, uh, surprisingly. This is something that regularly happens. Right. Like, so, I don't yes, know. there are, there have been instances. It's kind of like, sick to think right now something could be happening and oh, people my. are covering it up. Right. <laughs> it's like really scary. It is scary. People need to get some fucking backbone. It's insane. Like. I don't know. We got your back. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. It makes me sad. <clears throat> yeah. So anyways, I kind of recommend the movie. I mean, I it, was, it was it. fine. It was, it was it's fine. not a long movie. It's only no. like an hour and 40 minutes, I right. think. So it's on HBO Go. It's on HBO Go. I think it was pretty good. Yeah, it was um, fine. So I definitely recommend it. And um, you can talk to us more about it on the Facebook group, Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. And follow us on Twitter, yeah. the Rachel Fisher or Desi Jed. Yeah. Or oh, yeah. or our official Twitter account yeah. for our show, which is Hollywood Crime Scene. Oh no, I'm H-wood sorry. Crime it's H Wood Crime Scene. We couldn't Instagram get it. is Hollywood Crime Scene. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so that's that. That's that. See you next okay, week. Okay, bye. bye.